This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap for the weekend. It is Stephen and Mark with you today. And as it's the 7th of January, we are going to be focusing today on CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which is what everyone's talking about. You're listening to Double Tap, the weekend edition, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Mark Aflalo. Hey, Mark Aflalo. Hello, Stephen Scott. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited today because, well, you know, I mean, look, any excuse to talk tech, right? I mean, that's always good for me. But, you know, this is a particularly cool week to talk Wasn't about tech. Isn't it fun at CES when, you know, Consumer Electronics Show, when it goes from quiet, quiet holiday time, you get to relax and sit back and enjoy family life, and then suddenly, like, everything in the world blows up, and the world descends on Las Vegas, and all these cool things are announced that we'll never get our hands on for another, like, year. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, that's the thing about CES. It's one of those kind of places where you feel like you walk in and you go, I want to buy all this stuff, and they say, yeah, it's not ready yet. You know, it's it's, it's like going into your favorite restaurant and them saying, well, you know, I'd kind of like to serve you, but we don't open till you know, next week. You know, that would be kind of, it's really irritating. You kind of want to take all this stuff home with you, and there's lots of great ideas some of the, the things you see will be active and will be very much available to people, but most of it, let's be honest, is is prototype, and it's really showing what what is capable, what is what the potential is, what could be, right? Yeah. What could be, what could come over these things, and this is what's interesting. And, and some companies, the some of the larger companies, like let's talk Sony for example, okay. Mm. They take things to a whole new level when it comes to what could be. They don't just unveil, oh, here's what a new camera would look like. Here's what a new TV could look like. They go, here's what a new electric SUV can feel. And they <laughs> announce and they show you this full, full-fledged full car or SUV on stage. And you're like, okay, that's an interesting use of resources and funds, but we'll take it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I will say, you know, Sony is a great example to kick off with because – as we mentioned on Thursday's show, the big news on Thursday was the fact they've just announced a brand new accessible controller for PlayStation. So, you know, think of the Xbox adaptive controller, which was created by Microsoft, and they poured a lot of time and effort into making uh, a device that was suitable for disabled people to, in order to play games and help disabled people play games. Well, Sony have just come out and done it as well. So that's the first big accessible tech story of the year with Sony doing this, which you know is very exciting. We're going to be talking to various people. We did on Thursday, if you're going back in the shows, uh, you know, on our show notes, you'll find the link to the Wired article, which uh, features all the latest news on this. And uh, we'll be we'll definitely be following that up on a future show and definitely on Double Tap TV as well. So, uh, you know, make sure we make sure you keep checking the show out for that. But yeah, I mean, just great stuff. Although I do believe Sony this year not announcing any new televisions. Is that right? Well, we haven't seen... I mean, we've seen updates to just the kind of regular product line, but nothing kind of mind-blowing. You know, if you want to talk about TVs, you got to pay attention to companies like TCL, Hisense, um, you know, Panasonic is kind of in there and kind of the behind-the-scenes. It's really the, the brands that you'll see on the shelves at Best Buy or some of your big box stores that are releasing actual TV technology this year. And I must admit... It's really a lot of gimmicky stuff. Mm. Like Samsung, for example, has a TV that you can suction cup to a window, like a 55-inch really <laughs> light, thin TV that you can just kind of suction cup to a wall. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. I, I don't know about you, but I've used <laughs> suction cups and stuff in my cars and stuff like that, and they don't stay up very long. I'm not putting so, a TV uh, on the wall with a suction cup. Though. There's no way. That's just going to yeah, fall Yeah, no, no thank you here. But, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're seeing. We're seeing, like, wireless 4K, 120 hertz over, like, over wireless technology. Okay, that's cool. That's the kind of stuff we're seeing this year. We're not really seeing the, you know, oh, Here's a brand new technology like 3D TV. Mm. That's not coming up. But we, we have a clip that we'll play later on from uh, my conversation with TCL's Bruce Walker talking kind of about the industry and why they've kind of taken a pause on announcing this big stuff that really doesn't matter. And they're focusing more on what consumers are asking for. Well, yeah. And, and let's maybe dig into that a little bit because we got a call in this week from uh, one of our listeners, Felix, who has been in touch. He left us this voicemail. Hi, Double Tappers. Happy New Year. Uh, first and foremost, really enjoyed the uh, 
the year in review, uh, uh, you know, look back on the text from 2022. So, you know, um, really enjoyed that uh, from Stephen and Sean. And um, yes, good to have you guys back. Now, I did listen to yesterday's um, podcast where I think Sean talked a little bit about um, television at, you know, televisions and, and how they were progressing uh, at CEX and stuff like that. Um, and I just want to say that, they, uh, you know, the, the way television went or is going, um, I guess certain things we weren't quite ready for, um, like 3D. And I guess uh, the main terrestrial companies in the UK are probably waiting to see what happens because uh, I believe that with um, B-Sky-B or Sky, um, uh, when they uh, took, uh, well, took on the 3D aspect of television, when it took off after uh, the release of Avatar in 2009, don't quote me on this, um, you know, it was all the craze. Um, I know we do have IMAX cinemas, uh, IMAX cinemas even, um, but, um, you know, A, they cost money and people with uh, Netflix aren't really going to cinema anymore. So that's one that's one reason why that's kind of failing. But 3D television didn't really take off in the UK because you had to wear glasses in your home. And thinking, if I'm paying something like two grand for a television, why should I have to wear glasses? And in certain cases, you had to have the 3D channel on Sky, for example, to, ha- to watch 3D content. And it was only what the odd thing, like let's say Planet Earth, and maybe the Simpsons that would appear in 3D, for example. Um, <laughs> and everything else wouldn't be, so it wasn't really cost-effective, and it kind of just lost favor. Um, with, uh, then we had curved televisions. Those Ugh. took off, but again, had major issues. You had to sit in the exact right place to watch them. Yep. <laughs> and if you didn't, it kind of got a bit of, uh, um, blurry, and it wasn't very clear. And uh, just finally, then really 4K and 8K. So if you have first a um, a ready HD TV for standard HD, um, in fact, most of you have those nowadays. Uh, you, if you get a 4K television, uh, you're and you're watching uh, standard HD, your content will be upscaled to 4K. The problem is the difference between 4K and 8K is giving a problem. Um, what? Your 8K TV will try and do, will try and upscale from 4K to 8K, but the problem with that is again you haven't seen blurry issue and it's not as good. So that's why television is sort of slowed down a bit and waiting for technology to catch up with it. I suspect within um, within uh, the next two years that will be resolved. Uh, television as a whole is, is evolving. Um, Pixelate and color contrast are improving all the time. I believe at CX itself, actually, there's a television that was at least 100, 100 feet long or something like that, with, um, uh, I think it was like nearly 10K resolution, which obviously would have cost far too much for any of us to afford. So, um, yes, that's it about the history. And uh, enjoy, really enjoy the show, guys. Hope it's all made sense soon and this has been felix bye for now thank you felix appreciate wow. the message he should yeah. be a correspondent i know he's brilliant isn't he and, <laughs> and just you know i think it just picks up in so many things and you know the 4k and 8k thing i must admit for me and for a lot of people with low vision it doesn't really kind of hit home at all i mean you know you could watch 1080 you could watch 4k you can watch 8k and you go what's the difference right you're well, gonna you know, see it you're gonna see the difference right 4k is so is so good yeah that I think, um, you know, when he talks about upscaling and going from one to the other, you know, you have to you have to consider what your source is, right? If your source is 4K mm. and you're upscaling to 8K, you're going to maintain that quality. It's not going to suddenly just go blurry on you. Um, yeah. When you go from HD to 4K, there's a noticeable difference because of just the number of pixels. And it is just a lot clearer. Um, he makes an incredible point about about 3D, which is very funny which is why 3D just hasn't taken off. I don't think anybody is is even cares about it anymore. It's really not 
when when the technology is there to make those embedded in the screens, which it is there now, but not an unmasked kind of, uh, you know, creation, then maybe there'll be a future for it. I'm surprised no one's come out with like an IMAX TV, you yeah. know, a TV that's as wide as it is tall that could show you real full IMAX content on it. That'd be pretty cool. There was a laptop, though, wasn't there? There was a laptop on show. I think it was Acer. And it had some weird... And it, it, it was Marquez Brownlee who I saw on, on, on YouTube or, or Twitter, I think it was, he mentioned it. And this was a, a 3D screen that you did not need to wear glasses for. Felix oh, yeah, that's Acer. That is a, that's Acer. Um, I'm trying to remember the model. I think it's a Nitro or... Um, what is it? It's because we, you know, we have a clip from Acer too that we're going to be talking to this week. Yeah. That um, we don't talk about that particular screen, but there is a computer that has, um, I guess it's stereoscopic 3D that does not require the glasses, which is interesting. Um, because I'd like to actually get my hands on that and see how that works, because some people have difficulty seeing 3D mm. because of different, you know, just regular kind of regular. Depth perception issues. My my wife has that. My son has that. Let alone you know actual disabilities there. So I'm curious how that affects just the regular user. I know my my wife and I was talking about this, and she gets so annoyed about it because she'd love to try it, but she only has one eye. So that means that you know she, she there's no way she can see it because she only has monoscopic vision. She doesn't have stereoscopic at all. And and for people who've got in in my case, my left eye is weaker than my right eye, so therefore. You know, that it doesn't ever really matches up properly for me. I mean, I kind of get the sense of it, but it never really hits me in a way. And to be honest, I will, I will say I never got sick, you know, like virtual reality headsets and yeah. 3D TVs. I know some people can only handle it for so long and they feel ill. I've never had that experience, but I do feel, I think a lot of it does feel a bit gimmicky. I think it's, it's the content, isn't it? I think that's the problem. Well, a lot well, of that's the, the thing content. is that, well, he, he makes a very good point in that voicemail, which is that, the content creators need to catch up and they need to start embracing the technology a bit more. We're seeing major advancements in production technology. You know, look at the the way that Marvel and Star Wars have been using their uh, their giant LED display as a backdrop so that actors feel more immersed. Look at the way that James Cameron is, is filming Avatar with incredible new level, levels of CGI and computer technology. Those are all advancing, but the end product is not changing mm. and it's not adapting to the displays in which. So when, you know, he says that we're playing catch up, we are. And in my conversation with TCL's Bruce Walker, he talks about the same thing, that the industry as a whole is really kind of putting a pause on a lot of that growth and letting the, you know, the, the, the providers catch up. And they're focusing on things like the contrast and things like the sound and things like that part of the immersive experience. Let's get into that conversation then. So, so you spoke to Bruce Walker. Um, yeah, so Bruce Walker is a, a, a product evangelist over at TCL, friend of the show. And uh, he, uh, I mean, we dive into so many different topics, which will uh, be playing uh, way more on our CES edition of a TV show in just a couple weeks on AMI-tv. But here's a little bit of my conversation with Bruce, kind of about the state of the industry and how TCL kind of falls into that. You know, there's so many terms every year that people come out with, whether it's new screen technology, whether it's, you know, new refresh rates. And what is like the the must haves when it comes to a TV in 2023? Like, what are we looking for? So, I mean, if, if we're talking about, you know, let's talk a primary TV. We won't get into the bedroom or rental, just the yeah, primary exactly. TV, the, the almost de facto First thing is 4K resolution. Um, you know, every every year there, there's a an upping of the resolution, and 4K came into the spotlight a couple of years ago, and now pretty much everybody uh, is on board. Streaming, obviously, leading the way, uh, but satellite and cable companies are, are pulling their weight. So resolution is is the first thing. Um, the next big thing um, when it comes to movie watching, which we'll segue into something else in a minute, to to watching sports, watching movies, uh, is HDR. Or high dynamic range. Um, and it's the first thing I've seen in my industry. And we've tried lots of stuff with curved and 3D that didn't, didn't stick. Uh, yeah. But with high dynamic range HDR, everybody in the food chain agrees it's a huge benefit from the people who make movies to the people, people who produce content to the people who send the content to customers' homes to us 
to end users, they go, oh yeah, um, you know, high dynamic range is important to me. And then you get even more specifics, things like Dolby Vision, which is the best high dynamic range. And my best example of how accepted it's become is there's an online forum uh, called AVS Forum. Don't know if you frequent it. Uh, no. It's it's filled with what my boss calls my people. Um, Take that for what it's worth. Uh, they're the most demanding group of users, and the, the the moderators of the forum actually did a one-line survey recently that said, is Dolby Vision a must-have on your next TV? And over 70% of these jaded enthusiasts said, yes, it's a must-have on my next TV. So aside from resolution, high dynamic range HDR is, is the real McCoy. It's not just another acronym slapped on the TV. And that encompasses a lot of stuff. It, it is resolution. It is brightness. It is uh, color with our quantum dot or QLED technologies. Um, and then kind of the third thing, you know, we've got, you know, we've got resolution, we've got high dynamic range is just gaming. It's, it's just, phew, how it, the, I've never seen, and not, no, no slight against the gaming demographic, but if you look at the amount, the number of TVs actually purchased by and for gamers versus the amount of noise not meant to be a derogatory term, that yeah. they make demanding better performance from all of his TV manufacturers, it's insane. Um, you know, you probably remember just a couple of years ago, the only thing we ever said about gaming is what's the input lag? Now yeah, it's exactly. 444 chroma sampling, 4K 120, 144 hertz, just everything is, is revolving around, you know, these next-gen game consoles, these new graphics cards. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've said at some of my trainings, does anybody watch TV anymore? Um, so <laughs> it, it's good for everybody. It's one of those things where if a car manufacturer promotes that the car has an exceptionally low lap time at the Nürburgring, it's like, wow, what a great performing car, even if you're going 65 on the highway. Um, yeah. So when, when when mom and dad hear the the, the millennial son say, TCL is a great gaming TV, it kind of gives an overarching umbrella of it's a good performing TV or a great performing TV. Well, so how do you, I mean, you know, at, at TCL, obviously from your point of view, how do you make decisions to make sure you're addressing the needs of everybody because I mean yes you can focus in and say this one's going to be specific for gaming this one's going to be specific for this use but you know there's a lot of people out there with a lot of opinions so how do you weed through all the all the noise as we say opinions are like oh, okay we know that phrase uh, it, it's just a matter of, of us continually pushing the envelope um, in terms of what we can provide for our consumers and, and the good they said the good news is most of the things that make a team TV great for gaming will also make it good for watching TV because it's brightness and response time and 120 hertz and things like that. So it's um, you know it's really looking you know we've we like like most industries have the behind the scenes guys that report not only sales numbers but sales trends and do background marking you know what's important to you in your next TV and get get things like that that can help us uh, understand what's what's important to our customers. You know that at the end of the day, um, like I said we've seen lots of times in our industry where we've thrown stuff on the wall to see what stuck. Uh, and it didn't. And I think with, with the way things are now and customers, the voice of customers getting louder every day um, and for us to be able to hear it is great for everybody. So you talked about 4K as the number one number one thing, you know, across the board. One of, it's it's yeah. almost like the, the default. But every every year at CES. We see 4K. We saw 3D. That kind of disappeared. Um, then we see uh, 6, 8K. But that doesn't seem to be coming as quickly as 4K kind of game. Why is it? I think you're going to see um, uh, from from TCL in particular a kind of a pause in real world uh, 8K TVs as as we focus more on the uh, the real world picture. Why we had we had 8K TVs in 2022. Our six series 8K yeah. uh, was the first TV that made 8K really achievable for the masses. Um, yeah. And just like everything else in the industry, it's like the TVs can do this, the content is here, then the content goes here, and the TVs after this, and back and forth and back and forth. Um, we're going to take a little pause uh, in that and channel our energies towards uh, much more direct uh, picture performance uh, enhancements that customers can get right now, uh, streaming Netflix um, and things like that, uh, and then and then see where the market goes from there. There's obviously going to be 8K is going to be here at some point. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's just a matter of when and, and when it's viable. Well, and all this work also does help, you know, towards that goal down the road anyway. So it doesn't. Need it. So you, you mentioned a couple of things there, and, and I promise we'll get to TVs in a minute. Um, um, you talk about uh, the streaming industry. How significant of a shift? 
has that because I know on the like cables, you know, on the, on the satellite provider, all that stuff. It's a it's a it's a monumental shift in the way that people are consuming media. How does that affect you guys? Fantastic. Um, if, because, uh, for, if nothing else, uh, most people realize we're the world's largest supplier of ro- TVs with Roku's operating system. What people yeah. don't know yeah. is we're also the world's largest supplier of TVs using Google's operating systems. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you go out to buy a cell phone, you really have two choices. You know, Android or iOS, uh, where in the yes. TV market, it's a little more muddled. Um, you know, they're branded centric operating systems. And, and we don't see that as a sustainable model, because if you wanted to do Mark's TV streaming service, you don't want to have to develop 10 versions of that app. So to be partnered with yeah. the two arguably strongest uh, streaming platforms out there uh, is a real plus, a real position of strength for us. And then personally, taking off my TCL hat for a minute, um, the fact that I got my lovely wife who's upstairs right now uh, willing to cut the cable. She can watch all her Chicago shows. She knows where to find them. She knows how to yeah. search them. Um, so that's as much credit to the software engineers for making it easy to easy to say, Find Chicago PD um, as as anything else. So streaming is is huge for us. It makes the what I mentioned earlier the acceptance of 4K uh, much easier because you don't have to worry about uh, what your cable, physical cable yeah. is going to do. You just have to have the bandwidth, which yeah. everybody seems everybody now's entry level package is a hundred meg package. It seems uh, for streaming. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Uh, it's funny because this conversation was so different about four oh, it's years crazy. ago. Yeah. Yeah, now the fact that you can actually really stream 8K uh, is amazing, but the yeah. fact that you know 4K is just a given um, makes makes it fantastic, and it's, and it's great for everybody because that's when, you know aside from contrast, resolution is one of the first things you can notice. You know, walking into somebody's house and seeing what they're watching. Wow! So there's uh, <laughs> there's lots going on even with TVs today, and the interesting thing, of course, is as you know your man there mentioned, is that they are using operating systems from Roku, they're using Google's OS as well. And I think that's really exciting to see that kind of develop happen because, of course, that brings with it accessibility in, you know, in some ways. By default almost. Yeah, it's just there already. Yeah, I mean, it's not always perfect. You know, I'm not going to say it's a brilliant experience for a lot of people. It's not. Uh, I mean, uh, interestingly, a friend of mine just recently got a Sony TV that's got an Android operating system built into it, as a lot of them do now with Android OS, and he couldn't set up himself. He had to get some sighted assistance to help him, and it just seems a bit ridiculous that he can't set that up. He had to he had to get the system set up first in order to download the screen reader, which is a bit backwards, you know? You think, you know? It's a bit like saying, well, you can, you can, have, you can watch the TV, um, you know, once you've, you know, installed the television, you know, all the parts together. You've got to, you know, build the screen first or something. You know, it's just nonsense. They could uh, uh, they could take a lesson away from the way that like Mac OS and uh, and Windows have their startup, you know, absolutely. Where it's immediately right there, it just starts talking to you, saying if you, if you don't have any input whatsoever, within five seconds it says, "Hey, do you need me?" <laughs> you know, and you know, don't get me started on the apps as well, because the problem you have, and I think this is, I always try to be fair about this, because when I talk to companies about accessibility in their third party apps for, say, for example, it's Disney Plus or Netflix or Prime Video, you know. They are creating these apps for so many different platforms now. It's not an excuse that accessibility is left behind, but I can kind of see why it happens. And I know people often well, like also- to jump up and down on that, but I'm like, no, well, look, you know, come on, there's about 8,000 versions of this app. So, you know, they, they will get to it. I think also we have to keep shouting about it. Well, That's yeah, you definitely, definitely have to keep making noise about it. But I can also look at, you know, look at it from the interesting perspective of the operating system in which they're creating their apps for, right? If it's on an Apple side of things, then Apple gives you all the tools there to just make it accessible. It really is kind of out of the box. You don't have to do much about it. Then suddenly you jump onto another platform and those tools aren't there anymore. So you now have to figure out, okay, how do we do this on our own? And that's a problem with the fragmentation here is there's no consistency. And even in 2023, people are still wondering, what accessibility even means. What are these tools for? Because they do not teach accessibility as part of coding or as part of app development courses. That's that's just not part of the the norm yet. That needs to change because that helps. You know, even just knowing what it is. You know, if you get in touch with any organization and say your app isn't accessible, I often think that's the worst thing you can say because they don't often know what that means. They'll say, well, are you able to use the app? Can you open it? Yes, Right, so what's inaccessible about it? They don't get that it's the user interface is the inaccessible part, and that's because it works with a screen reader, and using a screen reader is different to, 
Yeah, I remember years ago, and I, I can see this from both sides because I was very uh, well, lucky in a sense to have this experience, unlucky in another. I was lucky in the sense that I was able to experience the, the early part of my life without the need for a screen reader. And then later in life, unfortunately, the less lucky part, having to use one. But the point is that having that experience, I went from somebody who used to hear people say, this website's inaccessible, and I didn't know what that meant. I just think, well, why isn't it accessible? Surely you can use, if, if the website is there in front of you, what's inaccessible about that? Then later in life, I realized, oh, it's because of the way the screen reader reads the website. So for example, text on a web page, if for example, on a very simple level, if you uh, are at a heading level on a document or on a web page, and all you've done is just hit, you know, just selected the text and emboldened it and maybe increased the text size a bit so it looks like a heading, that's not actually a heading. So therefore the computer doesn't read it as a heading, it can't see it as a heading. So you're arrowing down through all this text, trying to jump to the next heading, you can't because it's not there. It looks like one, but it isn't one. It has to be given the heading tag. It has to be a, a, an official heading. And then the screen reader can pick up on it. And this was little things that can make the whole experience better. And the problem is, if you don't know, where, where do you go? And and you know, thankfully, there are organizations that can assist with all this stuff, but you really do need to get that knowledge well, um, as part of this. You know, so many. I remember, you know, the days that I, I I designed websites and I programmed websites and I was I was doing HTML coding myself. You know, I wasn't using a tool that kind of filled in the blanks for me, and I did whatever I needed to do um, to just make it look the way that I wanted it to look. Mm-hmm. I wasn't concerned about headings or type because I didn't know, to be perfectly honest, no. because I wasn't taught. I was learning on the fly as I went. But even with the tools out there that teach you how to do it, no one is there saying, oh, by the way, you should be doing this because otherwise you're going to have users come to your site that won't be able to read it. There's no one that is out there explaining that. So you have to almost happen upon it by accident or listen to a show like this to realize, wait a second, I've been doing this wrong or I've been leaving out people because I've been doing it the way that I thought I was doing it properly. And that's a challenge. Look, if you can't get to the website, the first thing that someone's going to do is the same as anything, right? I mean, if you go to a website and you get error 404, the chances of you going back and trying that website again, if you found another place, let's say a a store, if you find another store that is giving you what you want, and when we're shopping these days, how quick are you at just going, forget that, on to the next one? You know, there's no loyalty, really. You know, If you can get it cheaper somewhere else, you'll just go there. And it's the same with accessibility. If I can't access one, then I'll just go somewhere else. And if I can get a better experience somewhere else, that is where I'll go. And that is what you find. You tend to find disabled people, certainly blind people, I think, are very loyal customers. They're very loyal consumers because when you find a store online or otherwise that is accessible to you and you can really, you know, get access to all the you know information about the products and you know go through that whole checkout process and get to the final stage and actually complete the order believe it or not it's often the last thing that is the nightmare is the checkout button that's usually where it all goes horribly wrong because a website can be fully accessible but the problem can be that the checkout process is often sometimes third party so that part isn't as accessible and that's where the problem lies so you can't enter your card information you can't put anything in and at that point well that's it you're screwed so you know, it's, but you know, TV. Going back to that, I think TV is a very interesting uh, thing at the moment because you know, in a lot of ways, everything's moving forward with it. But accessibility is not moving as fast. It is moving so quickly and so fast, and 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 spreading into all new areas, including areas this year we're going to hear more about with XR and mixed reality and the new headset from Apple, possibly. You know, accessibility is going to be part of all that. But yeah, I can buy a TV off the shelf, and it's not accessible. I don't get that. I just don't get why that bit is missing, especially considering the fact that you've got companies like Google behind the operating systems. Yeah. Okay, granted, though, they're not actually building the TVs, and that's maybe the point. Anyway, look, stick well, around. Yeah, we'll we'll so. get into more of this because we've got lots more to talk about. Um, we're going to talk computers next. And also, um, if you're needing the bathroom, you might want to hold on a minute. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. 
This is Double Tap and uh, Stephen and Mark uh, with you today for the weekend. We're looking at CES, of course, as it's ongoing this weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, Mark. Are you okay for the bathroom just now? Do you need to go to the restroom? Are you okay? I think I'm good. You I'm sure? Good. I'm, I think I'm okay. <laughs> okay, because if you did, if you did, um, you might want to use this new tool from Withings that is being uh, talked about at the moment. Um, because you know what? It's all about health these days. Everything's about health. And, you know, all this new technology we're hearing about in some way or another is watching us or listening to us or feeling us or <laughs> whatever it's doing. And this new thing from uh, Withings, which has been announced at CSUN, is called the U-Scan, letter U and scan, the first at-home hands-free urine lab. Okay, that's interesting. 90 millimetres in diameter is a smart health lab which sits within a toilet and it provides an immediate snapshot of the body's balance by monitoring and detecting a large variety of biomakers found in urine alongside actionable advice for health improvements. Interesting. This just sits inside the the toilet and, you know, when you do your business... uh, you can get information. It will sort of tell you either a red light will start flashing immediately saying, go to a doctor now, you're going to die in 10 minutes, or, hey, you might want to check this out, or, hey, you're fine. Is this a case of too much info? <laughs> <laughs> what, me Is telling this, you? Making, or you know, <laughs> I, can, I can imagine the hypochondriacs just lining up for this to get this in their day, oh, but I mean... Yes, absolutely. Wow. This is where, I mean, we've seen devices like this, and this is where CES kind of shines a little bit for me. Because a lot of really weird stuff comes out like this, but actually really useful stuff. You know, this is something which is going to help a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, I will say again, just back to the the, the point I've made before on the show about this. You know, I've been asked by doctors many a time. I'm sure you have as well. You know, have you noticed any discolor or have you noticed anything, you know, unusual about, you know, your toilet movements? And um, I can't tell. I've got no way of knowing. And, you know, Ira the wonderful people at Ira and Be My Eyes, they're wonderful people, but they're not going to check that for me. They're not going to, you know, I'm not going to be able to point the phone at the toilet and say, hey guys, what do you well, think? Well, I mean, you are paying them. <laughs> well, believe it or not, I don't know if you saw this or you heard about me talking about this a couple of weeks ago. They did actually put out, Ira put out a statement at the end of last year asking people to stop calling them on the toilet. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they said that's not really what we're doing. It violates terms and ser- of, of service. And um, yes, they were saying, I mean, it must, there must be a lot of people calling on the toilet when they had to put a statement out to say, stop doing it. It's amazing. Wow. I don't get that. Yeah, that's, get uh, that. that's something that I wouldn't necessarily expect, but I guess you need help there. But you know, well, I, I think I, I'll tell you what I think is often happening with that. I think people are often uh, calling up whilst they're on the. They're not even thinking. You know, we all sit on our phones on the bathroom. Probably, I mean, we shouldn't really do it because. But it's you're supposed to call. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to call them when you need help with something, right? Yeah. Well, that's the question. What are they needing help with? I don't know if I want to know. But the point is, you know, there, there are times when you want to get information that perhaps you. You know, you don't want to get somebody else involved, and maybe you can't. You know, my wife and I are here on our own. We don't have anybody who's, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to ask a neighbour to pop around and say, hey, can you check this out? Um, we don't, we're don't. we not that close as a community. <laughs> I don't think that's something they'd want to do. So, you you know, this is where technology can help, right? And it could be really useful here. Uh, I mean, a similar example to this is the, um, it was a project out of the UK that was set up, and there was a prototype built of an accessible pregnancy test so that someone who's blind, a woman who's blind, can find out if she's pregnant on her own. You know, at the moment you buy these kits, if you, you have to see them to be able to know whether, and, and, if, and if you were to use Be My Eyes, yes, you could use it for that, but then you'd have someone else telling you that information and then they would know that and it would suddenly start a conversation that perhaps maybe you don't want to be pregnant, maybe it's the last thing you've thought about, maybe you weren't expecting it, there could be a lot of different things. So that's information that should be private and offered privately to you. This is where I think tech is good. You know, I know it sounds a bit weird and people will be like, mm, but actually, I think this is a good story. I like that one. No, I, I like that too. And I think I think that, you know, early warning, anything that can catch something early on to save you, to make your life better, is a good tool. However, 
there's always going to be that downside of freaking people out unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, I have access to my medical records. I can see the results of a, a knee x-ray. I can see the results of my blood tests and, and it shows me this is the healthy range. This is the unhealthy range, but it doesn't give me all the history of my, of, you know, previous records and my doctor's information. And it doesn't tell me things that might not scare me or might, make me realize, oh, wait, there's context here when reading numbers like this. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads people to emergency rooms and necessarily to freak out and necessarily to have panic attacks and to actually affect their health in a negative way. So I think there needs to be a healthy, this is kind of, you know, kind of like, you know, the ECG on the Apple watch. Yeah. You know, there's a warning right there saying we cannot detect a heart attack yet. We constantly hear the stories about people avoiding heart attacks because of their Apple watch. So there's some mixed messaging going on out there. And I think that we need to clarify that. And that needs to be made extremely clear to people as to what these tools are meant for before they go ahead and and start using them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, So let's talk computers because uh, you've been uh, finding out about uh, Acer, right? I mean, listen, there's so many computing announcements that come out of CES. This is like, it still blows my mind to this day that so many computers cycle every year like this. I'm talking about thousands, Stephen. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Every company comes out with new versions of computers, thinner, lighter, uh, new processors, everything. I mean, as the processors come out, computers catch up. It's just, it's insane. Acer is one of those companies that has a slew of new announcements. We talked about the 3D version. There's Chromebooks. There's their gaming lineup. There's Nitro and everything else that's going on. Um, in this clip, I talked to Eric Ackerson from Acer, and we kind of just scraped the surface about the computing industry in general. But we talk about gaming and some of the things that are pretty cool that, that spread across more than just the gamer side of things, because gaming computers are high-end computers that really kind of match uh, any kind of content creator, anybody doing a little more higher-end stuff on the laptop side. Take a listen. So let's talk about um, some of the announcements that you guys had. And, and let's start in the gaming world, because um, I find that gaming, even though we we give it this moniker and we say these are gaming devices, these are really just really powerful computers, really, at the end of the day. And they serve more than just gamers. Obviously, they, they check off all the boxes for gamers, I hope anyway. Um, but, you know, in terms of someone like me who is doing video production and audio production, these are the perfect machines for me. So so let's talk about some of the announcements and let's see what sets these apart. Yeah, so the the latest in our Predator line of products in the Predator Helios category is what we've announced for uh, CES. We have two products, the Predator Helios 16 and Predator Helios 18. Um, The numbers kind of tell the story. They're larger screens instead of the 15.6 in the past or 17.3, it's 16 and 18. But uh, there's great color accuracy with these panels, not just being larger. In addition, we've injected some new technology, something we haven't done before. Um, we have these screens available in a mini LED panel. So very bright colors. You get HDR accuracy uh, and immersive experience that way with all the very bright colors, the very uh, dark blacks on the screen, the contrast. And then these take advantage of the newest silicon in the market. Um, the Intel 13th Gen core series of processors, we're going all the way up to an i9 uh, as an option. The latest NVIDIA graphics with the NVIDIA GeForce RTX all the way up to 4080 with 12 gigs of VRAM. Uh, and, and that's running at a, what I don't know if it's really an official term, people talk about it anyway, the max P setting. So it's really, um, it's not a balanced performance, it's a max performance. Uh, GPU at 165 watts. Uh, and with with that, the panel and the graphics come some other features that are really good for gaming and potentially for some other things as well. Um, you get the uh, DLSS 3 from NVIDIA, the reflex optimized system latency, so your mouse and your keyboard and any peripherals connected to the system are all in sync for better performance and experience. Dynamic d- display switching, so you can have that uh, GPU turned off to preserve battery, extend battery life, uh, reduce heat, and then on the fly, turn it on when you need it for getting your gaming done or your work done. Uh, we've increased, sorry, we've improved the camera up to full HD, and I don't know why gaming systems <laughs> haven't had this in the past, but 
they haven't. It's been kind of mostly industry-wide, and now we're seeing it move that direction, which is great. Battery is uh, pushed up almost to the max. You know, there's a limit to how big it can be, yeah. number one, before you can carry it, uh, and number two, before you can get on a plane with it. So we're real close to that, that max capacity at 90 watts for the battery. Uh, and it's kept some of the, the features that we've had in the Predator Helios line for a while. The very cool, pun intended, uh, fifth generation Aeroblade 3D fan, all metal blades. It's got uh, vector heat pipes to help move the heat around in the chassis to get closer to the, the uh, edges to, to cool out. Liquid metal thermal paste on top of the CPU to help make a, a better bond uh, to pull that heat out and away from the CPU to keep performance high for anything you're doing, gaming or, or high-performance compute. Talk to me about the sizes, because 16 and 18 are definitely not traditional sizes for a laptop. Um, and not having been there physically at CES, I didn't get to obviously touch and feel things. Um, so can you describe the form factor? Is it something that feels 16 and 18 inches? Or are you able to kind of slim down the packaging around it to make it feel like it's not that big? So there are some design tricks, uh, including the materials used, uh, for instance, aluminum on the chassis to help kind of, I don't want to say deceive, that sounds negative, but uh, change the user perception about the size. So uh, by themselves looking at them, they kind of feel like you would expect a 15.3 inch or 17, sorry, 15.6 or 17.3 inch uh, chassis to feel, but they are slightly larger uh, in some of the dimensions, but it just doesn't feel like it. And that's what's yeah. important is I, I don't think people are bringing out measuring tools to, to see how it fits into what they've used in the past. So the experience is much like they've had already. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to hear how laptops, you know, we, we went through this period where they were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I guess for gaming, yeah, you probably do want a bigger screen, right? You want to get the best you can get. I mean, 17.3 always seems to be the max with a laptop. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're trying to scram these large giant screens with these laptops, which I get. You know, I remember back in the day, I remember I get used to get, there was the one that Matt, I think it was a 17-inch MacBook Pro. Oh yeah, I believe there was right. one year that it was 17 inch MacBook Pro, yep. and I got it, and it was so massive. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was not. It was nuts. Was that it the was one nuts. that had the CD drive in it at that time, or DVD it drive? Had CD drive. It had a removable battery. I think still at that point. Yeah. Or maybe it was the first right. generation that didn't have the removable battery. I don't remember. But I mean, oh god, those were those were the days, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, and you know, all that space, and they still didn't put a number pad on it. I was just like, come on, guys. I always wanted a laptop with an, I love my laptops with number pads. I don't know why, but I will say you can get fantastic Bluetooth number pads if that excites you. It does excite me. You know what actually excites me? I bought this, um, have you heard of the Tour Box? Yes, it's the, is this like, it's a, like a, a little controller. All it is, it's a little black heavy controller. What? Oh, it's a thousand buttons, and you can all, it's all got go wheels, different ways. It's got scrolls. It's got. It's, it's a massive can, fidget spinner. That's basically really, what it really, is. That's what it is. But you can actually map every key to different things on your computer. So it's great for scrolling. It's great for video editing, audio editing, scrubbing. It's just kind of fun. Um, and I, you know what? I had one. I had one years ago, and I'm like, I'm never using this. I'm not, I put it away, and eventually it got purged in one of my let's purge what's <laughs> in my drawers, and. Uh, then I decided, you know, later on in life, wow, this would be a useful tool to have. And I had to go buy it again. Do you know something? You and I are scarily alike. It is terrifying. So I've just done exactly the same thing with a, a similar kind of thing. It's called the Contour, well, let me guess right, Contour Shuttle uh, Pro, I think it is. There's, there's two types. You get the Express exactly. and you get the, the Pro, right? And one of I know those, exactly what you're talking I ordered yeah. it. It wasn't available, so I canceled the order when I got the tour box. Well, that's because it's the same kind of idea, and I was thinking it would be really good for um, audio editing, and then I thought, hey, this might even work really well on Final Cut, but of course, my audio editing is on the PC, my video editing's on the Mac. You could buy one and swap it around, or just buy both. That's much easier. So I they, got they, the little one and the big one. So, you know, Logitech has this great tool in their Options Plus software that allow you to use the same keyboard and mouse across multiple computers. You actually turned me on to this, and, and because I'm sitting in front of three computers, you know, left, middle, and right, it's perfect because I can just slide the mice over to the mouse on the left, it goes onto that computer, it goes back and forth. Mm. It comes, 
it becomes a little bit of a problem when you're used to using multiple computers and you want to be able to just grab a keyboard and type on the computer on the right or the computer on the left and stuff yep. like that. Now you have to remember to move the focus to the computer in which you want to work on, <laughs> yep. which is actually a bit challenging. Like I like, for example, I'll have uh, Zoom conversations going on on the right screen and I want to mute or unmute with, so I put my mouse there and then I, I want to use my keyboard that I normally associate with the middle computer, but it's no longer associated with that one because I'm focusing on it. It's it's funny. It's funny that you say that. So there is, depending on your use case, there's always a benefit to having one device that can work across other computers, which is where I think a Shuttle Pro or the the the, the Tour Box might be useful in those cases to be able to use it on multiple computers. But then how do you determine which one's the focus at a given point in time? Well, the other way around it is get yourself a couple of stream decks and just have one per machine. That's a really cool way of doing it, because then you can just have those key, like on, on Zoom, for example. One thing I love about Stream Deck, I wish the software was more accessible, because that's not it's not great for that at all. But if you get some sighted help to set up the buttons, one thing you can do is you can set it up per application, so that as you move between applications, the Stream Deck will change and will, will adapt to that application. So if you're in Zoom, then the Zoom controls will show. And then if you go to another application, like Mail or whatever, however you've set it up, the shortcuts you've set up for that will show up. You can have it sort of follow the system uh, so that it will just show what you need it to show you at that given time. And of course, you can then have buttons as well that are set up to take you to those applications and bring them into focus. So you could do it with mm. just a small stream deck. So what you're um, saying is automate my um, automate my entire world. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, just, just have more keys, more keys everywhere. That's the answer to everything. But those little... Um, Contour things are pretty cool. I like the little shuttles, and I like the fact it's got those programmable buttons. Um, so I'm, I've, I need to kind of get into that, but I haven't, of course, you know, typically I haven't even opened the box yet. You know, if it's Philips Hughes style, we'll be here another year before they get opened. But, you know, fingers crossed I'll get into that soon because I really want to to try them out. I just think for fine editing and stuff, it's kind of cool to have that option with the, with the scroll wheel and stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I like the idea of having one keyboard, and I love these Logitech keyboards with the multi-switch I can't remember the name of the the name of that feature when you move from one to the other. It's like easy something, or maybe I can't remember what it's called, but it's something like that. Um, but yeah, look, CES has been a really interesting uh, one again this year, and it continues to be. Let's be honest about it; it always continues to be. Uh, although I will have to just pick up on one thing that was said there about Intel, um, because of course, that yes, we we did hear that they're launching their thirteenth gen. Uh, AMD were also on stage promoting their. Uh, latest and greatest processors, the Ryzen 9, I think it is, or whatever the the new one is. And um, they were on stage promoting it, and they were roasting the Mac. They were like, yes, Mac M1, we leave it in the dust. A lot of rubbish. Why would you even bother? And then someone online spotted that the machines they were using to do the presentation and the streaming well, we're MacBooks with M1. <clears throat> Just, you know, putting out there. Um, someone noticed that that happened to be what they used. And um, yeah, kind of says it all, really, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> so, it's so good, we're not using it. That's how good it is. Oh, my God. But, you know, I have to say, I think it'll be an interesting one. I mean, Apple don't announce at this, of course, but there are a lot of rumours flying around about a potential announcement any day this month, potentially. Uh, on this new VR AR headset. And I was watching a, a CNET video the other night and one of their correspondents was saying that as far as he's concerned, he thinks it will be a three-stage process. He And I think this makes a lot of sense that you'll have that initial, here's what it looks like, here's what it is. And then that will give developers a chance to get their hands on it or at least get close to it to get a sense of what they're building for. And then at WWDC, there will be a bigger announcement about the actual software and how the, you know, the developers can work on this and then potentially a launch in the fall. And I think that kind of makes sense. It's definitely the year for it. Definitely the year it's to happen. I am convinced <laughs> this is going to happen. We've been saying this for four <laughs> no, years. For four years. But this has got, there's just so much ramp up to this. And uh, I mean, there's, there's, if the rumors are true, things like, you know, it's going to have eye tracking in it. And I don't mean eye tracking for gaming. I mean eye tracking to actually make sure that the images on the screens that you're looking into are focused focused on your eyes. They're looking at you to make sure that you're seeing the best possible image. Um, real world mode. Uh, oh, I mean, it does sound pretty amazing. Um, but we've got to. But we haven't heard anything from Apple yet. Nothing. So 
until we hear the news. We don't hear anything from Apple in January early on normally. We don't really hear anything from Apple until March. This is going to be different this year. I am convinced. I wouldn't bet any money on it, but... (laughs) (laughs) Especially because it's been three years. He's so convinced, guys, that he's not willing to uh, put his money where his mouth is. I am Scottish. I do not put money down. I will maybe put down a a, a, a chocolate bar, but that's about it. You can buy me a chocolate bar when you and I... You know the weirdest thing, right? Mark and I live across the Atlantic from each other, and we're going to go and see each other in Austria this year. Yeah. How Out bizarre of is that? Of all the places. Last, last, year, year, yeah, last year was Regina. <laughs> this year it's Austria. Well, at least I was in your country last year. This year we've decided to pick a whole other country and go and visit that. We're going to give you a lot more detail on that in the next couple of weeks because it's a very exciting uh, trip we're going on. And uh, it's going to lead to a lot of interesting and very special episodes of this podcast and Double Tap TV as well. Speaking of which, we're back. We're, well, we were never really away, were we? We were we were on right. No, through. no breaks on TV. No rest no. for the wicked. No, no rest for the wicked. But we are back. Uh, we are back. I mean, uh, next week. What are we talking about next week? I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to catch up because my brain was on oh, sleepy mode, Stephen, uh, to figure. It. I definitely. I can tell you our CES episodes airing on January 24th. We're going to bring you an hour-long special all about CES. Again, just scraping the surface, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. It's hard to really get into all the details of everything that's going on. That's what the rest of the year is for, really. Uh, next, uh, so this coming week, we're going to be talking about the Pixel 7 and the Pixel Watch oh, lineup yes. of new devices from yeah, Google. That's, a, that's a pretty cool one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because, uh, yeah, I must admit, the Google Watch, I haven't had a lot about it. I mean, I've seen a couple of reviews online, but it's all quiet and down. And I just think maybe this watch, I mean, it was first gen from Google, maybe second gen. But I'd even even looking at the Apple Watch, as much as the Apple Watch is definitely the, the front runner in terms of it's the, you know, the, the most bought, the most used wearable, it's still, you know, even today there are apps being pulled from it that are still not, the, the development is not ongoing to support that. Now, that there could be a range of factors for that. It could be because companies are looking to cut costs. We saw this week Amazon uh, let go 18,000 of its staff, wow. which is incredible. What will be on uh, 18th of January is the date that they'll find out. But, um, I mean, that's a huge amount of people. And, you know, so it could be a lot of that. It could be they're just looking to develop and focus in development rather than, you know, if it looks extraneous or it looks like it's just something that's more of a gimmick and we would like. I mean, Amazon is a good example of this, the Echo delivery robots and drones, as much as they'd love to develop into all that space, they're considering that a nice to have. It's not something that they're going to be investing money in at this point in time. So it shows you how, you know, how their backs are against the wall on all this. But um, yeah, interesting. Anyway, look, we're out of time. As okay. Mark says, we bye. have got yeah, bye. <laughs> uh, we've got CES coverage all the way through here on the podcast and, of course, coming up on Double Tap TV as well. Join us for that. And uh, we'll catch you again on Monday. Thank you, Mark. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping on Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.